Samuel, um, and we are looking at David's response to God's great promise. Uh, when you look at the Bible, we have you know, different covenants, right? Well, people talk about the, you know, the covenant, for example, made with Noah and Abraham, which we just looked at, actually, the Abrahamic covenant, and this incredible covenant. And obviously, we have a very famous one here called the Davidic covenant. And so in this passage, God makes a great promise to David. Now, that promise is really broken down in verses 1 through 17. And I thought about reading the whole chapter and going from verses 1 through 29, but I, I realized that might take a long time, and especially through an online setting, that it might be a lot of verses to read. And so really today, I read verses 18 through 29, which is David's response to the promise. And I want to just kind of walk you through a little bit of the promise God makes to David. And it is an incredible promise. And really looking at how David responds. How does David respond to God's just grace and love and his promise, his covenant, and and really, as we think about that, how does that inform us, how we should respond to the Lord as he makes promises to us? So again, this is a very famous passage, and it's really through David's line that Christ right comes into the world to bless the world, to save uh, his people. And today's passage really kind of shows the messianic promise in, 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 in just a glorious, awesome way. And let's take, and as we look at that, let's get a little context. Um, David is king. Obviously, we, we know that Saul was king, and, you know, he, he, he was disobedient, and he was, you know, God said he was not no longer going to be king. He was replaced, and God chose David. Saul didn't like that, and so obviously when David is younger, he goes through a lot of hardship as Saul comes after him and David is in hiding and it's a very difficult thing. But even after Saul's death, David is still in difficulty because, you know, there, there are people supporting one of Saul's sons and there's, you know, there's internal strife in, in the, in the country, in the nation of Israel, but also even just with outside enemies and all these things, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of hardship. And yet at this time we see that, there is a lot of peace. Uh, if we look at chapter 7, verse 1, it actually says, Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. Right. So, so there's rest. And David feels secure. Right. There's a, a peace. And at this time, David realizes something. I live in a very nice house. But God lives in a tent. Right? He says here in verse 2, the king said to Nathan, the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. Now, obviously, God doesn't just stay in the tent. Right? God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. But his ark, right, which symbolizes his presence, it's, it's, in, it's in the tent. It's in the tabernacle. And David is thinking, I, I want to do something nice. I want to build a house. I want to build a temple for my God which sounds like a great thing. And so Nathan, the prophet, who uh, it's, this is kind of his introduction later on in the Bible. Obviously, we know that he takes plays a very important role after uh, David, you know, sins through, you know, by committing adultery, you know, with Bathsheba and, and, and that everything that kind of happens from there. Uh, we know Nathan takes very, um, very central role in rebuking David. But here, 
Nathan, you know, he seems like a confidant to the king. He says, go do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. So David is pretty much saying to the prophet, hey, I want to build a house for God. And the prophet is saying, do it. God is with you. And we realize very soon that he did not ask God about uh, what God wanted. I think he was speaking out of his own wisdom. And we know that because pretty soon after that, God comes to Nathan and says, no. All right. We see in verse five onwards, uh, God told my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in the house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I move with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel? whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you should say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, and you should be prince over my people Israel. And he, and he goes on and on, and he talks about just, uh, just a lot of promises which we're going to go into. But he, he makes it clear, you know, that David is not the one to build him a house. Actually, his son Solomon will be the one to build God the house. And so God says no, right? Even though David really wants to do this thing, God says no to David, which might be sad maybe for David, but in the process, I don't even think David might have a chance to be sad because God really gives him promises. God shows David that you want to build me a house? No, no, no. I'm going to build you a house. Uh, it's, it's an incredible thing um, that God does. And let me read for us how God responds after verse 8, verse 9. He says, I've been with you wherever you went, and I've cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, declares the Lord to you that I, the Lord, will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline them with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took you from Saul, whom I put away from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, he says a few things here, and I want to really highlight a few things. God says to David, you're not going to build me a house, but He says, I have been with you. I will be with you, and I will make your name great. Verse 9, right? I will make your name great. That's, that's incredible in and of itself. But then God also says in verse 12 that I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. So he said, I'm going to make your name great. He's talking about David. But then he says, you know, after you die, your son, right? It's going to be Solomon. He's going to be, you know, the king. And, you know, he, you know, he will establish his kingdom, which sounds great. 
But then he goes on and he says in verse 13, he shall build a house for my name, right? Which we just talked about. He's going to build me the house. He says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, that's interesting, right? The word forever is used, and it's not hyperbole. He's you know, really saying the word forever, and, and God is showing grace here. If you look at verse 16 again, it says, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And what is God saying? God is saying, look, I'm going to show you grace. You know, a lot of, a lot of kings, you know, with their false gods may have thought, if I build right, my particular God, a, a temple, right, a house, then that God will bless me. And that's what they might do that. And God is making it really clear to David, look, I have shown you grace in your whole life. You are a shepherd. You are lowly. I made you king. I have been with you. I will continue to be with you. And you know what? You want to build me a house? You don't need to do that. Right? I am going to show you love. I am going to show you grace. And you know what? Let me show you what kind of grace I'm talking about. I'm, let me show you what kind of blessing I am talking about. I am going to build you a house. Not a physical house like you were talking about with me, but the word house here is talking about dynasty. I'm going to build you a house, right? House of David. You know, you know if you look at houses of kings and royal families, you know, if you say house of park, it means the royal family of park. They say, I'm going to build you a house, a dynasty, and this house is going to go on forever you're going to be great your son's going to be great right he's talking about solomon but then he says forever which he's talking about more than solomon because what god is saying to david is this look you're going to have a kingdom and you're going to have a son and you're going to have a line but see this line if you know from the bible it lasts about 400 years but it ends but when god says to david your kingdom your house will Last forever. He's talking about who's going to come through the line of David. We know this now on this side of Christ's coming. That he was talking about Jesus, Jesus Christ. He was talking about the king. So he says here in this passage also, right, that verse 14, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And it's partially talking about Solomon because David, David's son Solomon and God will have a special relationship. He's talking about Jesus. And really what is God saying? God is God, he's making a covenant with David here that through David's line, through the house of David, one day will come the king who will come into the world and Jesus will die for his people. He will rise again for his people. He will intercede for his people. He will bring salvation. He will bring redemption to his people. And through Christ, obviously, us, his people will be saved. We will spend eternity with him. We will be joint heirs with Christ. I mean, there's so, much, so, many, so many awesome things that will happen through Christ for his people, for God's children. We'll be amazingly blessed. And really, God is making this promise to David that not only am I going to make you great and your, your son will be great, and you're going to have a line of kings. No, I'm going to bring the king through your line. Now, did David understand all of that? Uh, I think scholars might say he probably got glimpses and he understood partially, but maybe he didn't understand fully. But we, on this side of Christ's coming, we know. And it is an amazing thing. And as we think about this promise that God makes with David, look at, I want to look at his response today. I want to look at how does David responds to God's 
amazing promise, his amazing grace. And the first thing we see is a response of humility. In verse 18, David responds, the first verse we read today, Who am I, O Lord? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? Who am I? God just said to David, I'm going to make your name great. Your house will last forever. And instead of David thinking, I'm the man. Yeah, I'm going to be great. My house will last not for years and years, hundreds of years, thousands of years, forever. He doesn't get puffed up. No, he says, who am I? What is my house? He says, yet this was a a small thing in your eyes, O Lord. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. David is amazed by God's grace. He is humble. See, a lot of times we have what I would call false humility, right? People compliment us and we, you know, we do the whole, like, oh, no, 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 I'm not that good, right? Um, I remember one time I was, uh, I was visiting my parents in Korea many years ago. I think I was in college and, you know, I, I met, you know, you know, you met different people. And I met this one girl who was supposed to be an amazing pianist. I heard, heard that. So I told her, oh, I heard you're amazing at the piano. And she said, oh, no, 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 I'm not that good. So I was very confused. And I, I said, what, what? I heard, you know, that you won like this competition and you did this and that. And then she smiled at me and she looked at me and she said, you know, in, in Korea, we, we don't like to say that we're good at anything. And so I said, oh, so you do think you're good. You just don't want to put it out there. And she said, yes. <laughs> and I said, oh. And I think we do that sometimes. We have this false humility where we just, we're like, oh, I'm not good at singing i'm not good at sports i'm not that smart i'm not that you know and we go on and on although we might be saying those things maybe in our hearts we're thinking oh yes tell me more right i I feel great i know i'm amazing and we might be puffed up even if outwardly we might seem like we're not david was at the lowest in his own family he was a shepherd which was not a very um respectable job back in those days but God is the one who raised him up. God is the one who gave him many victories. God is the one who made him king. And now God is the one who's saying, I will make you great. I will bless your house. I will establish it forever. And David is just blown away. And when we become more and more aware of who God is and his amazing grace and his blessing in our lives, we have to be increasingly impressed with him and unimpressed with ourselves. We get impressed with God, with Christ, and we get unimpressed because who am I? I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner condemned to die. I have fallen short of the glory of God. It is only because of Christ's work upon the cross, his death and his resurrection, that I am forgiven, I am saved. I think of Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What did I do? I did nothing. Christ did everything. When I put my faith in Christ, it is by the grace of God I am forgiven. I am saved. It is all by God. So I need to be impressed with God, impressed with Christ, and unimpressed with myself. And if I become more and more impressed with myself and unimpressed with the people around me, I need to be alarmed. If I'm thinking, look how great I am, how talented I am, how amazing I am. I serve so much. You know, I'm so holy. I give a lot. I pray a lot. And if I'm thinking me, 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 and you know, not about others and not about God, we have to check our hearts. We have to repent. But how does David respond? When God says, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to build your house forever. David says, who am I? With humility. You know, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so often when we're prideful, 
that we fall and we mess up. And when we look at Christ, his humility that even brought him to the point of death on the cross, right? His, his Christ was so humble that he even died for his people. Let us not think so highly of ourselves. Let us not think about ourselves, but let us think of ourselves less. Let us be forgetful and let us just look to God and be amazed by him and be humble and be thankful. But not only am I called to be humble, how does David respond? He responds with worship. He responds with a God-soaked, worshipful prayer. He says, therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you and there is no God beside you according to all that we have heard without you. He's praising God. There is none like you. Reminds me of that praise song from back in the day. There is none like you, right? Um, no one else can touch my heart like you do. I can search for all eternity long. There is none like you. He says, there is none like you, Lord. There's no God beside you. He's praising the Lord. But he doesn't just praise him. He, he gives reasons. Verse 23 and 24. And who is like your people, Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them a great, awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. You established for yourself your people, Israel, to be your people forever, and you, O oh Lord, became their God. What is David doing? He is being humble, but he is also worshiping God, saying, there is none like you. And he is talking about the amazing things that God has done. He's talking about redemptive history. He's talking about how God redeemed his people, brought them out from Egypt. How God has been with his people and loved them and blessed them and established them and became their God and they are his people. He's talking about how great God is and talking about some of the things that God has done. And he is amazed by who God is. He's recounting the story of redemption. And as he does that, he responds with prayer, with worshipful prayer. And that's the proper response. When we think about who God is, we become humble saying, who am I? You are great. And I am only great because of you, Lord. Right? I am nothing without you. But because of what Christ has done, I am now a perfect child of God, blessed by you. And we praise God for that. And then we think about what God, he has done, how God sent his one and only son to the world to die for sinners like us, how he has forgiven us, how he has saved us, how Christ died and he rose again and he ascended into heaven, how even now he has sent the Holy Spirit into our lives and is blessing us, he's interceding on our behalf. And how, as you know, as we think about what Christ has done in our lives, we think about what he has done for his people, but also even individually, the people he has sent in our lives, the pastors, right, the parents he has maybe blessed us with, the pastors who have spoken into us in our lives, maybe other brothers and sisters who have really helped us along the way and how God has been with us every step of the way, even through the good times and the bad times in our lives. As you think about all of these things, how can we not praise him? We need to have God-soaked, worshipful prayers in response to what he has done. It's, you know, it's interesting. Um, sometimes, I mean, I guess it's interesting, but, you know, for me personally, one of the things that I, I love to do is I, I love to look at albums. And growing up, I used to look at, you know, I used to go to my friends' houses and I used to look at their albums. And it was mostly because I wanted to see their, like, baby pics and kind of make fun of them and all that kind of stuff. But I love looking at just, because when you make a good album, you kind of see a story playing out of people's lives. And 
I remember, you know, when I was young, I was sometimes looking at albums in my house of my parents, you know, when they like first got married and thinking they were, you know, they have these poses, thinking they look cool. And I remember always thinking like, you know, my mom looked very pretty when she was young. My dad, maybe not as good looking. And I remember wondering, you know, oh man, dad, how, how, how were you able to, you know, marry mom and, you know, must be your charm, right? And thinking things like that. And then I remember seeing them happy and seeing pictures of myself when I was born and then my sister who came after me. And, and as I would look at these pictures, I would be reminded of how much my parents blessed me and my sister, how much they loved us and sacrificed for us. And I would get moved and I would want to just go hug my parents sometimes because I would just think memories of, wow, all the things that they have done and sacrificed for myself and, and my sister. And I actually sometimes hope that when my kids get older, they might think those thoughts, hopefully, and say thank you to myself and my wife. But you get blessed thinking about those things. And for us, just like what David is doing, when I feel dry, when I feel not passionate, when I feel I'm like I'm struggling, when I feel like God is not with me, one of the things I want to do is we want to go to our salvation story. We want to look at who Christ is, what he has done, when I think about the Father and the Son and Christ's coming and just His work on the cross, the gospel, and we want to be blessed by that. When I think about the Holy Spirit in our lives, when I think about how God has continued to work in our lives today and how He has a home in heaven prepared for us. As we think about all of these things and how awesome the gospel is, how awesome our God is, how awesome our Savior is, how can we not respond with worship, with a God-soaked worship? And I want to encourage us, we want to be humble in response to what God has done, but also we want to be worshipful. And lastly, we see David praying a prayer of courage, boldness. In verse 27, David says, For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true. You have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that you may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken and with your blessing to the house of your servant be blessed forever. What is he doing? He's hanging on to the promises of God. He's courageous. He's bold. He is confident. David is saying, I know that you will bless me because you just promised you will bless me in my house. And so I'm going to ask you to bless me, to bless the house of your servants. They may continue forever before you. Why? David has heard the promises of God. He believes. He has faith in the promises of God because God has been faithful to him his whole life. He knows God is a faithful God and he knows that God is a covenant keeper and a promise keeper. And so God, David is so encouraged by what God has done in his life. And when he hears God saying, I'm going to bless you even more and going to establish your house forever. He is so encouraged, so blessed. And he responds with worship, with humility, but he responds with boldness, confidence, and courage. And he says, God bless me. I know you will bless me because you have said you will bless me in this way. And as Christians, we need to be bold. We need to be confident. Because we think about the promises of God. We think about all that he has done for us. We think about, again, Christ's work on the cross. We already know how blessed we are. We know that Christ died for us. And we know what the Bible says. 
that God works for the good of those who love him. We know what the Bible says, that God who would not spare his own son, what would he not do for us? We know the Bible says that every good and perfect gift is from him. We know that Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. And so we come to him with boldness. We come to him with confidence. Because life, life can be hard. Life can be difficult. And David knows that. But David knows what we know, that God is faithful. And we as Christians, as the people of God, we know how truly faithful our God is. We know, because we have seen it at the cross, how much he loves his people, but he would even die, he would even die for the sake of his people. We know that there's nothing God would not do for us that whatever we need, he will provide. We know that he will provide for us. We need that he will, we know that he will protect us. And we know that our blessings are beyond measure. We get, we get to be forgiven. We get to be saved. We get to be God's people. We are joint heirs with Christ. We have a relationship with God. We will have eternal life in paradise. And so we think about the blessings we have now, but the blessings we'll have forever. And how can I not respond with worship? How can I not be humble before the Lord? But also, how can I not be courageous and bold, knowing that God will hear my prayers, knowing that God will answer my prayers, knowing that he will work for my good? You know, there's a prayer really a blessing that we read in second Thessalonians chapter 2 uh, where Paul writes now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts establish them in every good work and word look at the way Paul writes that he's saying we know God loved us gave us eternal comfort and hope through grace and so May he also comfort you. Comfort you and establish him in every good work and word. What, what is Paul praying? He is praying a bold and confident prayer for the Thessalonians. And he can pray that because he knows what God has done, how he is faithful, and what he will continue to do for his people. And so I want to really encourage us today as we think about all that we have received, all the blessings of God. Let us be humble before him, saying, who am I? Let us be unimpressed with ourselves and just impressed with God. Let us worship him as you worship him with our God-soaked prayers. As you think about our redemptive history, as you think about just our testimonies and all that God has done for his people, let us give him glory. Let us also approach him. Let us approach his throne with confidence, praying to him, with boldness, asking for his blessing, knowing how blessed we are, knowing his promises to us. Let us claim those promises and give him glory. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again for this.